Do you believe in your business and want it to grow quicker? Make more sales, scale business? <laughs> yeah, me too. I just love helping women in business and I want your business to be the best it can possibly be. You can expect truthful accounts of the highs and lows of business, struggles, traumas, highlights and priceless moments. I'll be sharing how this busy mum scaled a business from a local class in a village hall to 60 franchisees internationally. So let's get started. I'm Charlie Day and you're listening to the Entrepreneurs Growth Club podcast. This episode is sponsored by Joe Middleton, founder of Franchise Business School, helping franchisors and aspiring franchisors strategically turbocharge their business growth through a range of comprehensive online masterclasses, exclusive membership, and one-to-one mentoring. Head over to FranchiseBusinessSchool.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneurs Growth Club podcast. Oh my gosh, everybody. I have got Laura Balgre on my podcast this week. Hello, Laura. Hello, Charlie Day. It's so nice to be here. I am literally so excited. I have to calm myself down because sometimes I do get a bit carried away with myself if I have someone who's a true inspiration to me on my podcast. So I'll keep bringing myself back to, you know, grounded state. But tell everybody who you are, just in case they were hiding under a rock and they don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sure. So I'm Laura Belgray. I am founder of Talking Shrimp and co-founder with my partner, Marie Forleo, of course, The Copy Cure. And I made my name, cut my teeth, writing copy. So that's what I'm known for. But I would say the umbrella mission of my brand, my overall arching thing is about getting paid to be you. And that means making your brand, your business, uh, whatever you do, a 100% expression of your personality so that you essentially are getting paid to be yourself. To me, that is the holy grail of work. And everyone wants to feel more like themselves, especially in the work they do. So that's what I'm here for. And I have to say, from meeting you, you like ooze personality and you're so like funny and charismatic (laughs) and I imagine that writing for you was probably always quite easy because you've got all of that going on for you whereas I've always found writing really hard Uh uh-huh and and yet you wrote a book and yours is out before mine (laughs) (laughs) and I might be 20 or 30 years older than you I'm not sure so you did it yeah yeah I did maybe I just don't give myself credit for writing yeah no I I think that a lot of people who um don't consider themselves writers and because maybe they struggled with uh writing assignments in in school whether it's elementary school or high school um or we're just taught to write a certain way that doesn't match the way you talk and doesn't match what you're thinking. Uh, It doesn't come out the same on the page. I think that, you know, a lot of us don't think of ourselves as writers because of that training and what's been ingrained in us as, you know, this way is right and this way is wrong. And so we think that we're not good at it. But then sometimes 
like in in your case, like you just you cranked out a book. I don't know how long it took you and whether you found the writing hard. Um, but sometimes the best writers and the most efficient and prolific writers end up being the people who don't think of themselves as writers because they put less pressure on themselves. Uh, did you ever see the movie Adaptation? No. Okay, so it's an American movie with Nicolas Cage. Um, and a big plot in it is Nicolas P Cage plays identical twins. And one of the twins is a serious writer, a screenwriter. And he's trying to write a screenplay. And he sits there, like, at I think he's at a typewriter, um, just thinking, like, okay, I need a, before I write, I need a muffin a muffin and coffee. He's like spends all day trying to write one word. And then his identical twin brother decides, I'm going to write a screenplay and has never written a thing. And he goes to a screenwriting class, storytelling by Bob McKee, who's a famous, uh, who actually does have this course. I've, I've actually gone to it weekend I'm and then sits down, sits down and pounds out a screenplay. And if I remember right, it's very successful. So you know, moral of that story is like the person who can sit, who puts pressure on themselves because they're known for a thing. Like I am known, this is the thing I'm good at. So it has to be perfect. Um, I've got to be great. They usually fail. And the person who puts no pressure on themselves and is okay with the B minus. And it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to give it a try. Nobody's expecting anything of me anyway. They're the ones who just soar. So there you go. Oh, yes. I like this because you see, I always think when I launch, because obviously I'm a sales expert, that's what I talk about day in, day out. And mm -hmm. I think if I launch and it goes wrong, then mm -hmm. that's going to be hugely embarrassing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I have to turn around and say like, oh, only two people signed up. People be like, well, you're this. So do you feel that on every email then? You know, I don't feel it on every email because here's the, the nature of email is it's so fleeting. It's not, you're not handing someone a book that you, you know, put your whole life into your blood, sweat and tears into. It's not permanent. It doesn't feel etched in stone, even though you can't go back and change that email once it's out there, which is why it's so annoying when people point out typos, like, thanks, I can't do anything about it now. But um, it's like, if an email is so-so, then you've always got tomorrow to write another. You've True. always got another chance. And I believe in I believe in volume. Like what that's one reason uh, I like writing. I write emails three days a week. I originally wrote once a week. Well, originally it was just whenever I was inspired, which was almost never. Um, sometimes it would be all the time, and then it would be never. And then I decided to do it regularly and started emailing once a week. And I was told by a coach I started working with, Ron Reich, that I would make more sales of the things that I sell in email, my mini courses, if I went from once a week to three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And he was right. Um, sales, like I tried it for a month and sales doubled, which was amazing. But another great side effect result of writing in volume, of creating that much, being prolific, is that it puts less pressure on each thing that you create. And 
the more you create, the more you create. And the more stuff you write, the more great stuff you end up writing. Also, the more crap. But it's like you are upping your chances so much of writing something great if you write three times a week than if you write once a week. So, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't feel that kind of pressure because it's so frequent, because it's so fleeting, because people will forget about whether it's great or so-so. Most people will forget about it by tomorrow. I'm glad you don't feel that pressure on a daily basis because I feel like no. that might just be a bit much. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Trust me, I feel that pressure. Writing, working on my book, definitely feel that pressure. Like every single word, I'm like, oh, is this the right word? Um, is this, you know, does this is this part anticlimactic? Is it going to be embarrassing to me once it's released? Am I going to think of things that I should have written differently? Am I going to say like, oh my gosh, how did I miss this opportunity right here to make this joke or? to use this word, I can't believe, you know, or I, I just used this word twice in two sentences in a row, and that's humiliating to me. So <laughs> I put that kind of pressure on myself with the book, for sure. I should probably just tell everyone now who's listening that I will be putting a link in the show notes to sign up to Laura's mailing list, because I feel like okay. everyone's going to be like, I need, I need to read it. <laughs> from it out. <laughs> Thank you. I think um, you raised some good points, though. And I think going right back to what you said at the beginning about like when you're in school, writing assignments and all of that sort of stuff, definitely in the UK, obviously, I don't know, but I imagine it's the same for you guys. You've got to do it a certain way. You've got to, you know, do everything right. And probably if I was to have my emails marked or even my book marked by, you know, an English teacher, they'd be mortified. My emails are full of like, Yahoo and, <laughs> and all of that. Um, and I do think that that is potentially what holds some people up in getting their units across, like not necessarily an email, because I don't really know about that, but in live video and audio and stuff like that. So how, like what are your tips from going from this like English student who wants to get everything right to writing emails just as yourself? Well, first tip is try and write the way you talk. And I know that's easier said than done for some people because we are so used to watching our grammar probably, you know, if we have been trained that way, especially if we're good at it, if we were good at writing English papers, or if we were chastised because we sucked at it. Um, so writing like you talk usually means, uh, you know, being a little loose with your grammar, using sentence fragments, like starting a sentence with and or but, which is a big no-no when you're in school. Um, you know, using contractions, using slang, et cetera. And most of all, and this goes against any anyone who writes for uh, in the academic setting or legal field doesn't do this, but using the apostrophe, using contractions. So contractions are those combo words. Like if you find yourself writing, you know, hello, I am so glad that you are here. Um, I am going to tell you three things in this, e in the following email. You know, and he wouldn't say that. You'd say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. You wouldn't say that in an email anyway, but I'm so glad you're here. Um, you know, coming up, I'm going to tell you a few things like that. So that that's using contractions. I'm instead of I am, um, go, you know, gonna instead of going to, et cetera. 
So one trick for writing like you talk is reading your stuff out loud also. And if you if it doesn't sound like you, if it sounds formal or like you're reading out loud, then change it on the page. However your mouth wants to change it as you're reading it out loud, change it the same way on the page. Like reading it out loud is crucial if you want to see whether it sounds like you talk. And I say put it through what I call the BFF test, the friend filter. Uh, I think that's my friend Marie Forleo's word, the friend filter. I'll say the BFF test. Um, so you want to consider as you're writing, is this the way I'd say it to a friend? Not the way I would say it to a group of people or a group of grown-ups, you know, who are sitting in front of me. I mean, we think of that, like if we're, we, we think of, um, I don't know, a teacher or a bunch of grown-ups judging us and start to talk very formally. You want to talk in your emails the way you would talk to a friend. I believe in making every email you write what I call an EFAB, which is an email from a bestie. So if it helps, one thing that you can do if you're feeling blocked and feeling like it's not coming out right, is actually start an email to a friend or whatever you're about to write in your email or whatever you want to say, try writing it like even in a text bubble and see if it looks like something that you would ever write to a friend in the way you would say it to a friend. And if not, change it. You're just full of all the great tips aren't you that is such a good one and reading them out, I don't ever read my emails out I'm gonna start it's a good idea start I think it I think it's uh it's a great practice both for sounding both for writing like you talk for sounding more informal and relaxed conversational um and also for writing more tightly like for making your writing more efficient economical because you will start to hear if we re if you read it out loud, you'll start to hear words that repeat words that like when there are too many words or when you run out of breath reading a sentence like, oh, this sentence should maybe be two separate sentences or just much shorter. So you'll start to see where it's too long or convoluted or hard to read. If it's hard to say, then it's usually hard to read. You just reminded me of this story, but I said my first um, chapter of to be read and she sent it back and there was just a note at the top saying do you end every single sentence with an exclamation mark <laughs> and I was like yeah I think I pretty much do yeah those I mean that's something that you want to like tone down and I don't say get rid of all your exclamation points I like them here and there and nowadays we're trained to use them here and there or else we sound curt you know especially in in texts and everything it just sounds sounds terse but you when I was when I was a kid I used to be obsessed with Archie comics I don't know if you've heard of them if they're around anymore but there was a comic book series called Archie comics and my mother could not stand them she's um she's a good writer and has always been in like children's books and education and a big reader. And she hated it when I read those because she'd say every single sentence ends with an exclamation point. What is this? And I, and I noticed, oh my God, it's true. Every sentence ends with an exclamation point. And those lose their punch completely when you don't like, you want to use them sparingly, just like the word fuck. You don't <laughs> want fuck in every sentence, like a well-placed one, depending on your audience is nice. 
not every sentence. Yeah. Oh, well, I was very glad to get that feedback so early on in the process. Cause like, mm -hmm. oh yeah. Mindful. Yes. Right. Exactly. Then you catch yourself. Oh my God. I can't even end a sentence without one. <laughs> yeah. Quite it sounds time. mean. <laughs> um, so let's talk about three emails a week, because I know some people who are listening to this are going to be losing their mind about that <laughs> sentence. Um, it's a lot of content. It is. But here's the thing. When So as I was saying before, when you write more emails, there's less pressure on each one to be good. Also less pressure on it to be epic and less pressure on you to say everything that you want to say. Often when I haven't written for a while, like sometimes I've been recycling old emails. And I'll be going through a launch and using the emails from last year. And then I haven't written a new one for like maybe a couple of weeks. And I feel like, oh my gosh, I have so much to say, like so many different things I could say or talk about that I have nothing to say because I can't pick which one. But when you are writing regularly, you you don't have that problem. It's like, I have one little thing to say today. Like, oh, I had a thought yesterday. I'm just going to use that. And you're fine. Another thing to know is that nobody ever unsubscribed because your email was too short. So you can write an email Monday recommending a book you just read. And you don't have to say that much about it. Say like, quick note to tell you, you must read this book. I just finished it and, you know, here's why I love it. And I just, you know, wanted to tell you that. Bye. Um, and then Wednesday might be, you know, a story about uh, something you found at the bottom of a tote bag that was in the closet. Like, oh my God, I found a tote bag like stuffed with old, old checks that I wrote 20 years ago. Um, I can't believe I paid this much for this thing. And what does that mean? Like, what's the, what's the story there? Do you, do you think it always needs to link back to something relevant or can I just talk about what I found at the bottom of a tote bag? I think that it's more satisfying to your reader if you deliver a point in some way, but it doesn't have to be convoluted. It can just be food for thought. Like there's your, <laughs> there's your Wednesday message from me. Um, you know, or like my tip to you is like, you know, go look through your tote bags and <laughs> see can, if there's any money at the bottom. Yeah, right. See if there's any money at the bottom. It doesn't, it, you do want to say like, why are you telling this story? You kind of don't want to end with like, anyway, it's really funny. Um, so yeah, so that happened. I mean, sometimes you can, but I do think you want to find, and there's just a good practice in your writing. If you want to be a better writer is figure out why am I telling this story? And that makes a difference for the reader. I'm sure you, like if you open an email and see, and there's a story in it, you kind of want to know, all right, where's this going? Why are they telling me this? Is there a point in this? Is there, a, is there some sort of a lesson, a takeaway? Is it going to make me see something differently? Why am I reading this story? You expect it, right? You expect a point at the end or some sort of arc or some change to happen in it. So I've got a question for you. Mm -hmm. It popped into my head. Do you read people's emails? I do. 
I do. Uh, a lot of them I just delete. Although I've, I'm trying to be a good digital citizen. I think this is a nice thing to, to be. Any of us who subscribe to a lot of different emails out of curiosity and just like keep, keep getting them in our inboxes. If you start getting tired of them and find yourself not opening them, um, either unsubscribe or do the person a favor and open it before you delete it. You don't have to read it, but open it before you delete it because that affects their deliverability. Okay. Okay. That's very kind. Yeah, it is a kindness and it doesn't really take much. I mean, it's way easier to just go delete, 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 but it is a nice thing. It's a courtesy. I believe in, um, I believe a little bit in karma sometimes. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I do, I try to do unto others because I hope that people who get mine and don't have time to read them and aren't saving them to read later will open rather than just delete. But I do, to answer your question, yes, I do read some people's emails. Usually it, it comes down to the ones that I've always opened and read. Once in a while, I'll sign up for someone new who I like to open and read. But a lot of the new ones I sign up for, I end up being like, meh, and it comes back to the old like the old standbys, people who've always been great. I have my eye out for good new ones. I just, I was thinking to myself, like three emails per week is a lot, right? You yeah. know, even there are some people out there who I support, I love what they do, but I don't necessarily read all of their emails, even yeah. though I love them, I buy from them, I follow them avidly. But actually, it's only the same as reading three Facebook posts, isn't it? kind of kind of you're putting more attention into it like Facebook posts you're you're maybe stopping to read but then scrolling you know it's it's a different thing it's a different action I think opening an email is a little more deliberate mm. than a Facebook post which might catch your eye and you find yourself reading um it might take the same amount of time if you're talking about time like the time that it takes but I think that you go, we all go through seasons with different people that we subscribe to and follow. So for a while, you might be really gung-ho and open every single thing that person sends. And then you get into a different season where you're like, you know, oh, I don't feel like it lately. And it's not a reflection on them and their frequency yeah. of emails. It's just like shiny object syndrome or just, yeah, seasons of our life. That's how I feel. I'm like, I love that person, so I'm not mm -hmm. going to unsubscribe, but also I'm not reading the emails. Yeah, yeah, I do that often. There, But there are a few people whose emails I will almost always open every time, and one or two of them send emails every day at times. Um, my friend Ash Amberger, do you know her? Yeah. Yes. So she was the Middle Finger Project. Now she is rebranded as the Vivette. That's the name of her newsletter and business now. And I think I open every one of her emails. Oh, I love the Middle Finger Project. Maybe I need to, I don't think I'm on a list. Maybe I need to subscribe oh. for this. Good oh, absolutely. It's to for sure subscribe. And she's always doing something interesting and new. Um, she's one of those people who just gets ideas and follows through on them, makes them happen. And like, whereas I like stasis, I'm like, talking shrimp is my brand and 
I don't plan on changing it. Um, but yeah, she, like, so she recently felt like the middle finger, finger project, the name no longer suited her. In fact, she always kind of bucked against it. She called it that. And then she's like, but you know what? I'm not rude and I never give the middle finger. It's just kind of not me. And she wanted to go in a new direction recently because she's so into travel and the digital nomad life. And so she started the Vivette, which it focuses on kind of high end, like luxury nomad living, travel, work travel, working from anywhere, making money from anywhere. And she spotlights new, like great Airbnbs that she's found, great restaurants, people doing interesting things in different places. It's a great newsletter. Oh gosh, I definitely need to go and follow her. Yeah, oh, for that, sure. Well, her, her list, yeah. No, I've read The Middle Finger Project and I loved it. So um, I'll, I'll be catching up with her. Just made a note to myself there. <laughs> um, so, Laura, I want to talk to you about sort of your journey into this because obviously you're very established, you're really well known, you know what you're doing, you're sending out your three emails a week. But talk to me about that journey into the talking shrimp. Okay, so I mean, it was a really long journey. I'm like never sure how far back to rewind, but let's just say I'll I'll just start with when that started. It really I was writing promos for TV. So promos being those commercials that you see that advertise the network or advertise the show that tell that tell you to tune in, like let you know, oh my gosh, uh, there's a new season of Handmaid's Tale. Um, I've got to watch that. Like sometimes it's a trailer, sometimes it's a some more creative campaign. So I did that for years and years and started talking shit i the name talking shrimp just came from it's not a very sexy story our my husband and i got married in 2007 2009 was when we got our first returns back at tax returns and we got reamed and but for being a couple and our accountant said well if you want better taxes then you should incorporate because being married sure isn't going to do you any favors so uh, he said, so pick a name, doesn't really matter what it is, and preferably something with an available URL in case you want to actually use it, and we, I will incorporate you. So we <laughs> went through a couple of different names that meant anything or nothing, and believe it or not, Talking Shrimp was available on GoDaddy.com. So <laughs> couldn't believe no one had snapped it up. My husband's in restaurants. I was in writing. It was like, how about talking shrimp that could apply to either of us or neither of us and mean anything or nothing. So talking shrimp it was. And then I decided to use it for my, I was like, I've got the URL. Why not use it as my company name? And I'll set up my, I need to build a website anyway to host my reel of TV spots. Um, and so I'll do it on talkingshrimp.com. So I started building the website, showed it to my friend Marie Forleo, who was, this was before she had created the program B-School. Can we just um, pause for one yeah. second? Yeah. You were already friends with Marie Forleo. I was already friends with Marie Forleo. She and I had met years before in 2003 in hip hop class at Crunch. So I love that. Oh my yeah. <laughs> she was uh she was this annoyingly 
perky, adorable, flat abbed, uh, you know, per- like perfect body, bouncy chick in the front row who caught all the moves before anybody else did. And I couldn't stand her. I'm like, damn. Um, She's so good. She's so enthusiastic. Look at that butt. Look at that hair. And I was like, nope. Uh, And then we started talking one day and it turned out she was really nice. And I was like a little disappointed that I couldn't hate her, but we became friends. I got her a, she was a bartender at the time and a life coach. And I asked if she wanted another bartending gig. And she said, yes, actually, I'll take all that I can get. My husband, my boyfriend at the time was uh, starting a restaurant. He was the GM, like the opening GM for this restaurant, Lever House, and he was looking for bartenders. So I set Marie Forleo up with a bartending job. Oh my God, I love this story so much. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. And, you know, before like a year or two later, she quit the bartending jobs and went full-time into life coaching. But here's a tip. Here's a little thing that she, this is a fun fact. She started, so I met her in hip hop class, then started going to her hip hop class because she was so good that she started teaching. Crunch hired her to teach her own class. And at the start of every class, she would say, I'm not only a hip hop teacher, I'm also a life coach. And I have an email newsletter that's free and it's called magical moments which i always say tells you we all start somewhere and she's like if you want in on it sign up um right now or after at the end of class on this yellow legal pad and she would pass it around and everyone would sign their name and put their email there and so it was like a um basically an analog opt-in form it was, she was, she had an opt-in before anybody I know had an opt-in mm-hmm. and yeah, it was on this yellow legal pad. so she was building her list and this was back in like 2003, 2004. So fast forward to 2009 when I'm building my website and I show it to her and she's like, it looks great. Um, what are you going to have for your opt-in? That's like my what in? <laughs> and she's like, oh my gosh. Okay. Your list is gold. This you you got to build an email list. That is where the money is. So here's how you're going to do it. And she diagrammed. She's like, you're going to sign up for a thing called a Weber, which was the company at the time. It's still good. Uh, and she diagrammed on a yellow legal pad how I would set up the opt-in and the confirmation email and how it all worked, the automation. And for once in my life, I actually went home and implemented something and followed instructions and put up an opt-in. And um, voila, like people started signing up and uh, she also said, you're going to have a blog, right? And I was like, well, isn't it too late to have a blog? She's like, no, it was 2009. I was like, everyone's already had like blogs have come and gone. She's like, my God, you have to have a blog. So uh, she was like, just send an email every time you write a new blog post and tell everybody to go to the blog. I'm like, okay. So I did that. And the blog was not anything useful or it was not a resource. I didn't talk about copywriting. People opted in to get copywriting tips. And then I would send them stories like about my dad calling his rain boots rubbers or about um, playing video games in the 1980s, like just ridiculous stories about growing up in like dirty scumbag New York City in the 1970s. And so nothing to do with copy, but my list 
grew very slowly, but it grew and people would read my blog posts. And eventually when it, when I finally decided to sell something, which people urged me to do, I didn't have anything to sell though. It started working for, I started off by selling, um, B-School, Marie, Marie's course, B-School as an affiliate. I was like, oh, I'll try it. And I made so much money doing that, like more money than I ever had before in one shot. I was like, holy shit, can't believe this works. I'm sending emails. And this was interesting. So I told, uh, I started, you know, I would send an email and make sales. And the course was $2,000 and I was making $1,000 for each sale. And I couldn't believe how it was working. And I told a friend who was not in the entrepreneur space, my friend, Victoria, I said, so every time I write an email about this course, B-School, it makes sales and I make $1,000 per sale. It's wild. And she said, okay, so why don't you write another one? And I was like, oh, I don't want to write too many. Like, I don't want to bother people. She's like, if it's working, write another one. And she was right. And so I wrote a bunch more and it made more sales. And that was a lesson right there. It's like the more emails you send, the more sales you make. And this is so, me. I'm currently launching whilst we're recording this podcast. Right. And it gets to the point, doesn't it, where you're like, how far can I push this? Could I send mm-hmm. like one an hour every hour? But it's Yeah, true. it is true. And, you know, it, it does make some people mad. People will unsubscribe but they'll unsubscribe anyway. And they're probably not going to be your people or your buyers if it's if they're mad about this, especially you, Charlie, because you're writing, you're selling sales, right? You're selling, selling. So if somebody's like, this is too many emails, um, you know, and too salesy for me, then they're probably not interested in knowing how to sell. It, the other, the people who are your people are opening those and saying, let's look at how she's doing this. I want to see how she's doing this. And I want to learn from this. And then they're probably going to sign up. So I, I believe in sending lots, especially on cart close day. I've sent like up to six or so. And I don't know, the people who make big money that I know of send a lot of emails, sometimes too many for my taste, but I don't, you know, I'll get off the ride if I want to, or I'll just say, you know what, let me see what they're doing. Yeah, let's understand like why they're doing it as well. You know, I always say in the most simplest form, like the more conversations you have, the more sales you'll make. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Those right. people who aren't putting their head like above the precipice aren't going to make the sales. So I love that. I love that you're just like sending out these emails and making all yeah. the sales. Yeah, it works. So I guess that was a pretty windy story of um, how Talking Shrimp was born. But that is how that is how it was born. That's how I ended up segueing from uh, from TV promos into the online space over time, the balance shifted, you know, first it was almost all TV promos and a few private clients here and there who had signed up for my website and liked the way I wrote, even though it wasn't, it wasn't instructional and it wasn't technically copywriting. It was content writing. They liked it. They liked my style and wanted me to help them write theirs. So I started getting clients that way. And, um, that, that that is how talking shrimp as we know it now was born 
talk to me about like <laughs> segueing from that into running your own business because one thing that comes up often on this podcast is how hard it is running your own business and obviously you are a very accomplished entrepreneur doing all the things you've got it all under control you're sending <laughs> out your three emails a week but did you find it hard I what I found hard was and frustrating was usually myself um, because I don't generate a ton of ideas in terms of like what to sell next. Oh, I'll sell this. Oh, I just did this successfully. I'll do a course. Oh, I'll do People are doing memberships. I'll do a membership. I'm kind of like, but, you know, a membership about what? Or I don't want to provide that kind of content all day long, all year long. I don't, I don't like that style. That style of business is not for me. So I reject so many things and I'm slow to produce things. And so um, the hardest part for me is my own pace as a human. It's hard to keep up with the pace that I would like. And pe other people run laps around me in terms of creating new things and yeah, just launching iterating, implementing, creating. So that's one thing that's been hard. Um, and then in the last year or two, I've found it a little hard to stay inspired and motivated because things that worked so well for a little while work a little less well now. For instance, growing on Instagram and getting people to sign up for my list from Instagram, like that was a great way for me to build my list. List growth has become harder, at least for me, also because I don't love to do all the things and I'm not great with ads. I've been running ads like low key, but I hate, like mine are just, I hate them. I hate the comments I get on them. Sure. Um, and so it, when your list isn't growing massively, it becomes hard to keep repeating the successes that you've had. Uh, so launches will do a little less well because you don't have as many new people on your list or as many people who are new to what you're launching. Um, so that is the, that's my biggest frustration. That's the real up and down of it for me. And have you seen a change, you know, talking about, comments on ads and things that are annoying in the online space and I know when we met in New York we talked about a few grievances we have with the online space and you know I'm just picturing you and Marie Forleo in this hip-hop class um, <laughs> and and knowing the online space that it is now do you feel like that's changed over time or mm. was that there when you first came into this world? It's definitely changed over time. I mean, so so many things have changed. On the one hand, there it is easier than ever to get something started online. You need so much less. Uh, I think everyone should have a website, but you don't even need a website to start making money. In fact, Marie is redoing B-School um, with a module about that, like about how to get started making money without a website because that has changed so much. And I think, um, so there, are, it's easier. There are more resources, more platforms that make it so simple, like press of a button, easy. But on the other hand, it's more crowded than ever, like, entrepreneurs pop up like gremlins. So <laughs> that's good and bad. 
it's a more crowded market. At the same time, there are more customers there, especially if you are in the online space and selling it to and teaching people how to make money online or how to do anything online. Um, there are more people to teach. There are more takers than ever. But again, there's more competition than ever. There's more noise than ever. So again, there are pluses and minuses to that. One of the one of my grievances is TikTok because I don't want to do it. And everybody's like, you've got to get on TikTok. TikTok is the place. TikTok is the place to grow now. You could be growing your audience. And I feel myself once again like missing a boat that I kind of don't want to be on. That's maybe where your list is gonna go crazy on TikTok. <laughs> I don't know. Is it I like do people sign up for lists from TikTok? I think so, yeah. Do they do you? Uh no, I I'm not I'm not that prevalent. I mean, I've got a TikTok account and I put content on there, but I can't say as I scroll through TikTok like I do Instagram. But right, that's my age. Yeah, me right. Well, I I don't know. Is it the like supposedly now we're all on TikTok or like we're all watching TikTok all day? I don't think that's true. I think a lot of people are, but I don't think I'm sure people are watching for information and to learn and they want to learn how to um, fold a, you know, a fitted bed sheet. <laughs> but I, I think you should go down a storm on TikTok. <laughs> Well, thank you for saying so. So maybe I should do that. There are a lot of shoulds in online business and they're painful to me because I'm not a jump on it kind of person. I'm just like, oh God, I don't feel like it. I like being consistent in spurts. I end all of my podcasts with the same three questions. And I have got these three questions for you today, Laura, and I'm so excited to hear the answers. Um, so number one, who inspires you? Okay, you're going to think this is a cop-out, but I'm going to tell you right now that you inspire me. And I really mean that because since I met you, I've seen everything you're doing and you are putting yourself out there. That you showing your work, I think that's a big thing. It's as the age of asking, what you want to do. 